You're listening to the SoPod Network. As always, safety is our number one value and priority. In our first post-pandemic episode, our system medical directors have a virtual discussion on vaccine education with special guest Dr. Kelly Carroll, Chief of Ambulatory Medicine at Grady Health Systems in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome to the SoPod Network. I'm Lance Walker. I'm the medical director for Georgia Power, and I'm a family medicine and occupational medicine physician. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to discuss vaccines with this group of doctors today. With me today, I have Dr. Cal Dodson. He's the medical director for Southern Nuclear, especially his internal medicine, and he practices in Birmingham, Alabama. I have Dr. Preston Harrison. He's the medical director for Alabama Power, especially his geriatric medicine, hospice, and palliative care, and he practices in Birmingham, Alabama. Dr. John Pisoni, uh, he's a medical director for Mississippi Power, especially as preventive and occupational medicine, and he practices in Gulfport, Mississippi. Also joining us today is our guest, Dr. Kelly Carroll. She is Executive Vice President of Ambulatory Care Services and Chief of Ambulatory Medicine at Grady Health Systems in Atlanta. Welcome to you all. I'm really looking forward to this, to this discussion and having the opportunity to talk about vaccines. Let's kick it off with the current vaccines that have been approved and that are currently being given, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. I've heard these referred to as new technology. I would really love it. It'd be great if one of you would comment on these vaccines and how they work. Uh, This is Dr. Carroll. I can lead it off. Um, We've been doing vaccines for about six weeks now, so I find that I'm pretty much an expert at this point. We've actually crossed a 10,000 vaccine barrier on Friday. Uh, So our vaccines that we have, which are Pfizer, Moderna, are mRNA vaccines. So it's an mRNA vector. And the way I like to explain this to our employees and our patients is that it's pretty much giving your body the instructions of how to be immune to COVID-19. So it is not injecting the actual virus. It is injecting a code to the protein that makes our cells and the virus stick together. And so it's giving our bodies the instructions of what to do if it does encounter uh, COVID-19 in the future. Uh, It is two doses, um, and it takes a a bit of time for it to start working. The clinical trials did show that it is 95% effective. And even those 5% who did get COVID-19, none of them were seriously ill. So we were part of the Moderna trial, and we found ours to be 100% effective against um, any illness in our in our subset of the trial. So it's really exciting um, to be at the cutting edge. Although this is, a, this is a new technology, it's been being studied for about 10 years. So I think it's a little bit um, misconstrued as brand new. Um, it is new in this setting, but it, the technology has been under research for about 10 years. I've heard some concerns about how fast these vaccines were developed. Um, what were the safety steps? Were the, was it the same as other vaccines? Yes, all three steps were taken. So there's three stages of clinical trials and all three stages were followed, stage one, two, and three. 
they were done consecutively and overlapping. So in most of the time for vaccine, because there's not infinite resources, you may do phase one and then wait a few years and phase two when you get enough um, resources, you can do phase three. Uh, because the, the government did fund these, there was ample resources to do the trials overlapping. Also, there were huge numbers in the stage two and three. Stage three had 40,000 patients. So most vaccine trials may have maybe 1,000. So if you do a vaccine trial with just 1,000 people with a disease that's not that common, it's going to take you a long time to get results. However, in this case, with 40,000 people with a disease that's very common, Within very short order, they were able to see that it is highly effective, and the FDA gave it, gave it emergency use authorization. Thank you, Dr. Carroll. Dr. Dodson. Another, another uh, uh, comment about the safety is that now we've given already millions of doses here in the United States, and, and the safety concerns that may have been expressed early on after the phase one, two, and three trials had not shown a greater number of problems in proportion to the patients that have received it. So uh, as we as we continue to roll out these new vaccines, uh, the, the safety element has been, uh, I think, if anything, strengthened over the last uh, month or so. Yeah, that's a really good point. What about, um, you know, what kind of adverse effects or, or side effects are, are we seeing? What can people expect when they get this vaccine? The primary effect, the, the one that's most common, I would say, would be soreness in the arm at the injection site. And that, if you've ever had a pneumonia vaccine or a tetanus booster as compared to a flu vaccine, you might have noticed that in your arm at the site of injection, you're sore there for a day, two, or maybe three or four days. And that's really common among people receiving this vaccine. Also, some reports of fatigue, some general just uh, achiness and sometimes some low-grade fever or even chills can occur, usually within the first day or two, and usually self-limited. Lance, I'd like to add one more. Also, you might see a little bit of uh, headache with the vaccine. Uh, we've, ha- we've, we've heard that from some patients. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Okay. Uh, what about concerns that you see out there on uh, Dr. Facebook and other places um, about uh, you know the DNA potentially or the, the, the virus, the uh, vaccine altering DNA or affecting fertility, um, anything to those sorts of, uh, those sorts of things? Uh, no, <laughs> very short answer. So the mRNA does not enter the cell nucleus. And so I don't want to get too technical, but the DNA is within the nucleus of the cell. mRNA stays in the cytoplasm or the fluid of the cell, and it is very quickly degraded. Good. One of the things that, that I've, I've seen reports on, and just, just as we talk as a utility company, um, that some of our, our uh, peer utility companies, they're only seeing about 50% interest in their essential workers um, in receiving vaccine. So what would you all say to, say, a young, healthy lineman to encourage him or her to get vaccinated, even if, even if they felt like they were at low risk for severe COVID illness? Dr. Dotson. I would, I would suggest that Everyone that's um, that's able to be vaccinated against COVID nineteen should become vaccinated because it's not only helping you, but it can also help your other family members and those people you come in contact with at work and in any other surrounding that you're a part of. That you know, some people may not be as concerned about 
developing COVID-19 infections as others due to lower risk factors, but nobody really knows how severe their case might be in case they get COVID-19. The vaccine has definitely been shown, as Dr. Kelly indicated earlier, to show a significant improvement in in the response to uh, preventing infection and uh, a 95% reduction in illness from COVID-19 is worth, uh, I think, getting the vaccine. The risk versus the benefit is, is very, uh, in a very favorable way to, to get the vaccine uh, to protect yourself and others. I saw an article in the uh, Washington Post yesterday, and it was discussing uh, low vaccine acceptancy in minority communities. Um, obviously, this is concerning because minority groups have been hit hard by COVID. Um, I know, Dr. Carroll, you've had some experience as far as as far as vaccinating a, a lot of people so far, a lot of folks. Um, have you had? Have you seen this? Is this is this something that that you can comment on? Absolutely. So the experience of COVID nineteen since it began a year ago, uh, quickly it sort of highlighted the health disparities that already exist in our country. Um, so we know that minority communities, um, especially African American and Latino or Hispanic, are more susceptible to um, contracting, having serious illness and death. And that is because they have a higher proportion of having diseases that put them at risk for severe COVID, and that is diabetes, hypertension, lung disease, like COPD. The reasons for those dis- disparities and those diseases is because of things called social determinants of health. And so zip codes that are largely minority have less access to health care, less access to healthy food, um, transportation, um, places to stay active. Um, So through the decades, those communities have higher prevalences of poorly controlled chronic disease. And so this this virus really took advantage of what was already existing and brought it to the forefront. So these chronic diseases and any of your employees who have those chronic diseases, um, the immune system just does not work as well. It does not respond as well and people have more severe outcomes, which is why it's really critical that those communities have full access to the vaccine are encouraged to get it. So far with patients, we've been giving to patients for maybe three weeks now, and our over 65-year-old patients are very enthusiastic about getting the vaccine. And our and our patient population is probably about 90% African-American. So very, uh, Grady is a very you know traditional African-American serving uh, institution. Um, and so our patients have been very enthusiastic. Uh, we are experiencing the same issues other places are having with their young and healthy workforce. Generally, the younger work for, workers um, have not, maybe not, not wanting to have it right now. Um, but so we're seeing that like anywhere else. Um, but we're really focused on our highest risk patients, our highest risk employees, and they are all very enthusiastic. Hence, us getting ten thousand vaccines done. With these vaccines, are there any? Um... Are there any groups of people or any individuals that should avoid the vaccine or maybe be especially, you know, speak with their doctor before getting it? Um, So I put in two groups. So those who've had anaphylaxis or a severe allergic reaction to a prior vaccine, they should talk to their doctor. Uh, It does not mean they cannot get the vaccine. What we do in that case is we do a 30 minute observation period for them when we're watching for an allergic response. And so we have had a handful of these allergic response. And generally, it's it's immediate hives, um, maybe some throat swelling, um, and we give um, IM or intramuscular antihistamines, um, or if they still don't improve, we give them uh, IM nephrine. They've all responded very well. 
Um, and the CDC says if someone's had anaphylaxis to this vaccine, they may consider not getting a second dose. Um, but everyone just needs to be monitored and, and encouraged and told the risk. But the risk of anaphylaxis is very, very low, like one in a million maybe, and is very treatable. Um, pregnant women do need to talk to their doctor about what they should do. There's no evidence of any problems with pregnant women. Although pregnant women were, were excluded from the trial, many pregnant women got many women got pregnant while on the trial. So that data of those women who got pregnant do not show any safety signals. Um, at this point, what our system is telling our employees who are pregnant is that they just need to talk to their um, obstetrician or their primary care doctor about receiving the vaccine. And we've done many vaccines in pregnant women. I was going to say one other group that uh, questions often come up about are those who have had previous infection with COVID-19. And so, um, in general, the answer to that question, because we don't know, it varies from person to person, how long you remain, you maintain natural immunity after becoming infected with COVID-19. And that generally is thought to be around at least three months, but it can vary. And so uh, someone that has had previous COVID-19 can gain additional immunity from the vaccination immunity um, that is, is granted by this vaccine. And, and so it's recommended that you should get vaccinated when when your um, your risk group comes forward. Um, there are two exceptions. Those are folks who have had previous monoclonal antibody uh, treatments um, and those who have had convalescent plasma. They should wait about 90 days before receiving the vaccine. But others are considered to be uh, eligible to get the vaccine. And that that has evolved over the last month or so. We're learning more about these vaccines every day and who should get them and who shouldn't. But uh, I'd say in general, you should, uh, most people should get it. I, I did have one patient, I'll tell you about a case who had uh, a, a rash that developed about six or seven days after a vaccine. And so we weren't really sure if that was related. In that case, I, I think it's good to to see an allergist or somebody that specializes in allergies and immunology to get an assessment, get an opinion from the physician whether you should get the second shot. What about people getting COVID? Can you get COVID after you get the vaccine? Is that still a, a possibility? And how, how soon does your, your uh, um, immunity start kicking in? And Well, I've, I've got a personal uh, story I can share with you about that. Um, I was eligible to, as a healthcare worker, I, I was in the early phase of getting vaccine back on December 18th um, at UAB in Birmingham, and, and everything went great. I, I was feeling fine before the vaccine. And then about 12 hours later, the following morning, I developed several symptoms, which were some of the potential side effects. I had uh, some fever, achiness, fatigue. I don't remember having a headache, but I, I felt pretty pretty bad. And um, I ended up uh, taking some Advil and I looked up the side effects for the vaccine and all those were consistent with possible vaccine uh, response. Well, those symptoms were a little bit more profound than I was expecting. And I ended up later getting tested for COVID and tested positive. So the question is, did I get the the uh, COVID infection from the vaccine? The answer is no, 
I was already infected before I got vaccinated and just didn't know it yet. I was in what's called the convalescent stage, the early pre-symptomatic symptom or pre-symptomatic stage of COVID, which is usually about two to three days before you become uh, symptomatic. And uh, just happened that I was basically I was about a, a couple of weeks late getting my vaccine. So uh, another answer to the question is uh, after about 14 days, you start showing some some immunity after your first vaccine. It's not really high. It, it can go up to as high as about 50 percent immunity. And then a week after the Pfizer vaccine, which is week four from your first dose, the Pfizer vaccine is given three weeks apart. You developed, you get to about the 95% immunity rate. Two weeks after the Moderna vaccine, which is given four weeks apart, so it's a total of six weeks from your first vaccine, and two weeks after the second, you're showing the 95% efficacy from the uh, Moderna vaccine. So those are the time frames. Um, there is a chance in that first early period that you might become infected with COVID, but it is lowered as further you get into the vaccination process. So once you do get the vaccine, are there, um, what's, what's the guidance as far as, you know, if you do become exposed again, the mask wearing and social distancing, um, does anything change right now, Dr. Personi? Yeah, there's no guidance right now that I know of that says you can stop wearing a mask. <clears throat> it's important that you continue to wear the mask and you continue to social distance because that makes you part of the countrywide effort to get rid of COVID. Um, it sends a positive signal, um, and it's definitely something you should continue to do. The first place, even though we're talking about 95% uh, immunity, there's still 5% hanging out there. doesn't mean you can't get it again. Um, and we're trying to he head to the herd immunity, which means we need to get more people involved in the treatment and in the um, avoidance. Um, so it's part of the it's part of the worldwide and certainly uh, countrywide effort to continue to do that. And it's sending a bad signal, I think, if you do not. So sp speaking of immunity, and and how how long do we think? Immunity is going to last when with these vaccines. Do, do we have an idea? Well, that's the first uh, the first human studies with these vaccines actually started as early as March of last year, which is kind of fascinating because the genetic code to this virus wasn't available until January. So we started seeing very early phase one trials back then, and so. Since it is so new, since we have so few people in that early phase that are seven, eight, nine months into the into the program, we don't know the full answer to that yet. We think it is probably longer than the three months that you get from natural immunity, but right now that would just be a guess. Are we just to follow up on that? Are, are we anticipating that this will be a, a yearly shot, or or that there will be a different? version that we may have to change? I know there's concern about variants out there and, and the effectiveness. Um, if anybody had some comments on that, I'd be interested. Well, we are seeing the mutations come out now, um, and we don't know what other mutations we're going to see. So it's kind of hard to say how long it's going to be good for at this point. Uh, 
I don't, it's the thought seems to be that we're not going to be an annual thing necessarily like flu, but then we don't, we haven't seen all of COVID yet. So the answer to that question is we don't know. Thank you, Dr. Pisani. It is a little bit encouraging. I think at least the UK variant that uh, has been studied has been, uh, I, I know for Moderna has had a pretty high, um, the Moderna vaccines had a pretty high protective rate against the UK variant. Uh, the South African variant has not been quite as good, but it's still thought to be, well, you know, responsive enough to mitigate the symptoms and the, and the uh, seriousness of the disease. And I think you know, one of the interesting things with these mRNA vaccines is that they are able to um, redesign them quickly with the sequencing of genomes and things. And and so they can pivot quickly if, if necessary to, to make boosters and things. It's, it's interesting that this technology is interesting. Um, m- moving on beyond the mRNA vaccines that are out there, what are the next vaccines that are kind of on the horizon or near approval? And, and, and how are these different from, um, from the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines? Dr. Harrison? There's a Johnson & Johnson vaccine that's applied for approval. Um, which it's going to be a little different in that it's a one-shot vaccination versus the two shots of the Pfizer and Moderna. There's also uh, an AstraZeneca um, vaccine um, that's uh, potentially coming out too that will be more in line with the the two-shot versions of the other ones. And the uh, Johnson Johnson is going to be interesting because it is – an adenovirus vector vaccine. Um, it doesn't have the cold storage requirement, so it's going to be a lot easier to sort of deal with on a broader community s- setting. As I think about you know work um, workplaces that are not in healthcare, uh, and in one dose may be easier to track down um, to, to not have to track down people for a second dose. Tracking second doses is a lot, um, and so having a vaccine that yes, maybe not quite as effective. It's it's about seventy percent instead of ninety five. But in younger populations, it may be easier because you don't have to track the person down again. So I think it will have its niche. It probably is not what we want to give to nursing home patients, but it will have its niche. Um, another company, Novavax, uh, we're involved with their trial, and that's a protein subunit vaccine, and that will come later this summer. Speaking of younger populations, um, my understanding is that neither the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine is, a, is approved for I think Pfizer goes down to 18 years of age or down to 16 years of age and Moderna down to 18 years of age. Um, why, why is that? And, and do we anticipate that, that these vaccines, these MRI vaccines will be approved for, for children? So they're doing the pediatric studies now. Um, and so in clinical medicine, you, you generally going to start with adults uh, first. You're not going to do vulnerable populations like children first. So they're doing those studies right now. So I anticipate that they will, the studies will complete and show the same efficacy and safety as adults. So as soon as that happens, they will, uh, will move on to children. But it, it's just a matter of who you start with when you do clinical trials. So right now uh, we're seeing the distribution plans are going on in the states and, and that uh, the vulnerable populations are, are being um, being vaccinated as well as healthcare workers. And, and soon, hopefully, we'll be moving on to essential workers, which it will include a lot of our, our employees. Are we seeing differences between, uh, we've got docs here from Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. Um, are we seeing differences between the state plans as far as the rollouts, or does it seem pretty uniform? Well, from the Mississippi point of view, um, we're still waiting to see 
what the supply is going to look like. Now, we don't have uh, a clinic, uh, an in-house clinic, so to speak, in Mississippi. So we're going to need to rely on um, hospitals or pharmacies to provide that. Uh, and there are plans and there are plans underway, close to fruition, uh, on finding a deliverer of that vaccine to our to our workers out there. But it's all going to be handled um, both through pharmacies and through the hospitals, as far as I know at this point. How about what, Dr. Sony in, in Mississippi, I, I know, I think one of the key differences was um, that they had opened up vaccination to people as young as 16 um, with, with comorbid medical conditions. Is that true? Do, have you seen that? I have not seen that, no. Okay. And uh, Alabama, I can kind of speak to what we're doing. Uh, we're following the, the CDC guidance uh, pretty closely. Uh, you know, right now we're at the uh, phase 1B. Uh, and also, uh, in fact, today we just moved down to uh, vaccinating 65 and up. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. Dr. Dotson. Yeah, one of the frustrating um, parts so far, Dr. Walker, um, for Alabama in particular, has been uh, there have been about 925,000 doses of COVID vaccine delivered, and only about half of those have been administered at this point. So and I think the, the numbers for Georgia, you can correct me, I think they're pretty similar to that. Um, we, we need a, a much faster delivery rate and a much better administrative administrative rate. Uh, they're just not getting to the to the uh, places they need to get to as fast as they need to get there. Yeah, I think nationally it's something like 60, 66% of the doses that have been distributed have been given. Um, so uh, absolutely, we need to get these out there as, as, as quickly and efficiently as, as possible. Um, what, what happens to... Uh, what happens to the virus? You know, I've heard the talk about herd immunity and reaching herd immunity. Um, you know, what do we expect to see as, as we get more folks vaccinated um, with this with the progression of the virus? Dr. Carroll? From a hospital's perspective, we're hoping the numbers go down in our hospital. <laughs> that is the most important thing to us. Uh, the numbers are going down. I think we hit our, our Thanksgiving Christmas peak a few weeks ago in Georgia. Um, and we're hoping that as the nursing homes are vaccinated, which I think they're doing a pretty good job with in here in Georgia, those are really the patients who have a lot of trouble and have long, long hospital stays uh, and often die. So uh, that was our, our main hope is that we protect the patients who are filling the hospitals and having the most complications. Um, my, you know, crystal ball in the future, hopefully this just becomes a nuisance a cold virus as the population has immunity and has seen it before. Uh, that's my hope from uh, an optimistic point of view. Yeah, the, the, the term herd immunity just refers to having enough people um, uh, immune um, to disease that it no, can no longer spread easily. And uh, there are basically two ways to get that, either have everybody become infected or get as many people as possible vaccinated. Obviously, the, the second of those would be the preferable way um, because there's less risk involved. And so the combination of many people having been infected already and hopefully many more people becoming vaccinated 
will get us to that point where we can get back to more uh, normal. Lifestyle. Now, this reflects back to our discussion about why you should get the vaccine, because we will get to herd immunity. Uh, if we don't do anything, eventually enough people will be will catch it and will die from it so that the population decreases to the point that we have herd immunity. So the object is to get the vaccination out there. So we don't have to reach herd immunity the other way. Um, anyone else have anything that, that uh, they wanted to share personal experiences uh, with COVID or uh, anything uh, that they've seen with, with the vaccination so far? Well, I, I'll, I'll chime in. The, the, the second part of the story is, is even though I did uh, was tested positive for COVID, uh, my symptoms were very mild. I don't know if that had anything to do with the vaccine being in my system during part of that time, but um, I was fortunate. Um, but there, you know, it's very unpredictable as to what might happen if you become infected. So I don't encourage you to get infected on purpose for any for any purpose. I'd rather you get vaccinated. Um, one other one other um, kind of technical point um, is that. Uh, try to avoid getting vaccines within two weeks or 14 days of your COVID vaccine. So in other words, if you're due for a flu shot or if you're due for a um, pneumonia or shingles vaccine, put that off a little bit so that you have time to get the COVID vaccine two weeks apart from any other vaccine. That would be another recommendation. Also with the um, COVID vaccine, we, we mentioned earlier potential adverse effects or side effects. Uh, I just wanted to bring up that sometimes we're seeing the side effects uh, on the second shot might be just a little bit more. So I just wanted to mention that too. Thank you, Dr. Harrison. How, how long generally, uh, if people do have you know sore arms, headache, fatigue, or those kind of side effects, how, how long do those usually last? Less than two days in general. The sore arm may be there three or four days, but but the other symptoms should subside. If you continue to have symptoms or if it becomes very, very uncomfortable and, and you're not sure if if it's due to the vaccine, then you need to really consult with your physician. Is it safe for people to take things like Tylenol or Motrin for, for vaccine symptoms or if they're having some of those adverse effects? Yes, and that's recommended. Yeah, here in Georgia, um, we're, we're really working um, – with uh, we're trying to work with a vendor and working uh, pretty closely with the state in terms of uh, trying to get access to vaccine when it becomes available to us as a company. Where our goal overarchingly is just to make sure that we're able to uh, get vaccine distributed um, and make it available to our essential employees in in as uh, in as uh, easy and and uh, convenient manner as is possible. Uh, and we're going to do that through delivery of vaccine at some of our facilities throughout the state. In some of our other um, footprint states where we have maybe have fewer employees, um, but, uh, but still have a need where we have essential workers, um, we're going to try to work with the local health departments in those cases. Um, in Illinois, where we do have a significant number of employees, we're going to be working with uh, either the local health departments uh, to help us with distribution or with some local pharmacy partners. Um, but again, the, the, the goal is to make sure that we make this as convenient a process as, as, as is possible for our employees. Thank you again to all of you. I, I really appreciate your time today and your expertise. And uh, I, know, I know the employees appreciate it too. 
I think it's a fascinating discussion on, on vaccines and, and we're all still uh, learning as, as this process goes. And again, you know, thank you for uh, tuning into the SoPod Network and uh, be well. Thank you for listening to the SoPod Network. Stay tuned for more episodes streaming on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms.